0: Initiating startup sequence. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, the Martian ambassador is going to say a few words. (laughs)
0: Citizens of the universe.
1: Welcome to the Other Planes, Afrofuturism and Speculative Cultures podcast. fourth edition of Other Planes, I am very pleased to present Zigzaggers the Bastard, aka Shannon Theus transmedia artist, performance poet, and cosplayer. Some of you may know that Zigzaggers and I have been collaborating over the past two years on a number of artistic, science-fictional, and intellectual endeavors, including our cosplay photo shoots, a hybrid form of conference presentation that combines Zigzaggers' performance poetry, her manifestos, with my live alien improvised ambient music and talks on post-human philosophy, and these come together in the Zigzaggers the Bastard zine, which is Published on our Planet Noir platform, which by the way you can check out at planetnoir.net. So, without further ado, here's a little bit about Zigzaggers. The cosmic world of Zigzaggers the Bastard, Queen of the Damaged, explores how radical black becomings afford inventive escapes, reimaginings, and adaptations to markers of disability, gender, and race. Zigzaggers is author and publisher of the two-part zine The Bastard's Manifesto, in which she calls for the revolution of human identity through alien-becoming, lived science fiction, and cosplay. As a professional cosplayer, Zigzaggers debuted on The View with Whippy Goldberg. What's interesting about Zigzaggers is how she mobilizes cosplay for causes. She spells it C-A-U-S-E play. She's also a dedicated environmentalist, and as part of her efforts to stop oil fracking in Los Angeles, Zigzaggers has turned cosplay into cosplay, performing Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy at Public Interventions at City Hall. Check out her cosplay on Instagram at zigzaggers, Z-I-G-G, Z-A-G-G-E-R-Z. The following conversation took place at emerald city comic-con 2016 in seattle where we discuss zigzaggers cosplay of frank bedore's wonderland character queen of clubs as well as race diversity and disability in cosplay culture we then turn to a series of on location conversations from a queen hippolyta and queen nubia photo shoot held in whistler bc this is zigzagger's the bastard as queen of clubs on other planes tell me your name and and what character you're cosplaying
0: my name is ziggy i'm cosplaying queen of clubs
1: how long have you been cosplaying for uh,
0: about a year i'm new to it i'm still considered a novice actually
1: but you cosplay professionally for Frank Bedore's Looking Glass Wars?
0: Yes, Frank Bedore summoned me to cosplay. Actually, my first experience was last year in WonderCon, and my first cosplay experience was The View. The View is a daytime TV show featuring Whoopi Goldberg, and my character is actually Whoopi Goldberg's character.
1: So Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> participated in a Kickstarter, donated enough money to get herself written in as a character, and then you cosplayed Whoopi Goldberg's character on The View with Whoopi Goldberg.
0: Yes, she really does. Love Love Alice in Wonderland like she's it. She's a Chester Cat in a version. I don't know actually how to call it, but in New York in Central Park there's an Alice in Wonderland statue, and it's Whoopi Goldberg's voice that's narrating the information.
1: So tell me, as far as I understand, you photophobia, right?
0: Yes, I have an acute photophobia problem.
1: How does cosplay tie into dealing with photophobia?
0: Within the industry of the Comic Con world is a really diverse. Um, eclectic collect group of people, people with disabilities, people from different backgrounds. And within this group, I find myself Um, I always have to wear pretty intensive sunglasses that are considered steampunk, And in the Comic-Con world, I actually uh, fit in perfectly. I'm actually one of the normal people here. When I go to meetings, Comic-Con meetings, I actually have more, I'm considered to be more professional. It gives me more credibility within the world. And so when Frank Bedore actually summoned this costume maid, it was fortunate for me, because Whoopi Goldberg's character actually wears glasses a lot in the book. And so the costume maker, Chad Edward Lievitt, um incorporated my disability, her glasses, and created this costume.
1: So basically cosplay allows you to incorporate your disability and even kind of celebrate it.
0: Yeah. If you actually look at my headpiece, my two glasses are part of a club. Um, and so it actually brings dignity to something that would otherwise be pretty oppressive.
1: What other characters do you cosplay?
0: Um, I <laughs> Well, I just started cosplaying, uh, it's an apocalyptic uh, Catwoman, Holly Berry's version of Catwoman. Um, I also cosplay, within the Looking Glass Wars, Jet Seer. She's a time traveler who collects DNA from exceptional people, so she can build new worlds.
1: Do you think it's really important for uh, there to be black cosplayers and black role models within the cosplay scene?
0: Well, as I said, the cosplay community, or the Comic-Con community, actually... Uh, favors diversity. It, it it encourages it. So the more black cosplayers, the better. They'll, they'll actually be better received. It actually enhances the community. Um, I personally like to see myself and with my black body playing black characters or characters that are that aren't necessarily white. Just because there's so many.
1: This is a total awesome gender bend. That's just walking past us. We just have to point this out. We have male Wonder Woman and female Catwoman. No.
0: Male Wonder Woman, male Catwoman.
1: Yes, male Wonder Woman.
0: Male Catwoman. Male
1: Male Catwoman. We have to get this right. (laughs) Right. I'm getting all confused already. (laughs) That's how the gender bend is working. He's
0: like, oh my god, those legs.
1: Look at those legs.
0: (laughs) He's working those hills.
1: Yeah, yeah, he is working those hills. That's actually quite amazing.
0: Yeah, his calves look nice in it with the fishnets too. Oh, he's struggling though. Look at that walk. Oh,
1: oh his, yeah. His 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 calves are not doing well. Right. He is
0: tired.
1: Yeah, he's tired. But you've been working in costume since 9:30 in the morning, and it's now almost like 6:30 at night.
0: Yes, I just put on flats about five minutes ago. I've been in four-inch stilettos. I'm in a very tight-fitting corset.
1: Do you think it's it's good and okay for people? different ethnicities and backgrounds to play characters that are normally default white?
0: Oh yeah, um, the gender bins interrupted that answer before. So I think you can play whatever you want, like play whatever you want. If you want to be a box, play a box. I might cosplay an Etch-a-Sketch actually, I was talking to Eric about that. Um, I just think that if you do have a black body, it's cool to portray non-white characters so that there's diversity within the Comic-Con. There's so many people playing the same thing. Everyone gets so excited when you see something new that when you you that when you already are a minority or a, a diverse member of the crowd, I think that it's it enhances the crowd when you play something that's similar to you that no one else can really play or are playing
1: so kind of what you're saying is instead of like yet another, you know, Batman this time just like a black Batman why not play like Black Panther or Static or like a character that's underrepresented to begin with within like from from the comic world
0: well put it this way so like there's people with disabilities here who are playing different uh, superheroes who don't have disabilities But there was a person at WonderCon who didn't have legs who was Lieutenant Dan Forrest And that was amazing because no one else is going, anyone else who tries to be Lieutenant Dan will have to sit on their legs. They're not really going to portray the character as truly. But having a person with no legs play a character with no legs was quite inspiring. And now that, and that person added to the diversity of the con, added to the diversity of the characters portrayed.
1: So you kind of mean diversity in a sense of diversity of representation of the actual characters out there, not yeah. just, because like diversity is a term that's kind of watered down, doesn't always necessarily mean very much, right?
0: Yeah, I care, the thing I care most about in life is storytelling, and so bringing more characters, bringing more stories in is kind of what I mean by diversity, it's not really about the uh, race as much as the, the collection of different ideas, different stories that aren't being portrayed, I don't like any type of, I don't like oversaturation of anything, not necessarily you have a race, but just consistent characters. So when you can bring something that other people aren't being, because they don't have the body to be it. Um, by body, I don't mean like size. I mean if you don't have legs, and other people, you know, being a character that doesn't have legs, that's pretty interesting.
1: <laughs> if
0: you have a darker skin body, and you're a character that has darker skin, that's pretty interesting.
1: Sweet. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Our last conversation here that we will feature in this podcast was conducted live and on location during a day-long cosplay photoshoot in Whistler, BC. Our discussion gets deep into Zigzagger's inventive cosplay of Queen Hippolyta and Queen Nubia from the Wonder Woman universe, as she tackles issues of race, disability, and self-empowerment. We also talk about what goes on behind the scenes of a cosplay shoot, from the photography to costume and character. So here is Zigzaggers on other planes. Alright, so we're here in Whistler and we're about to go shoot some cosplay in the rain because this is Canada in the middle of the summer in the mountains and so it's incredibly unpredictable for weather. So, what are you dressed up as, Zigzaggers?
0: I am Queen Hippolyta of Amazon. This character in particular is from William Shakespeare's Midsummer's Night to Dream. Um, in the play, she is betrothed to King Theseus. And this is actually a big deal in the mythology of Hippolyta for she is queen of Amazon. So, and she's the first to ever marry. So, actually my marriage actually causes a civil war within the Amazon. But it, it'll be well cared for by my two queen sisters, and Athens could use our virtues. Pretty excited about the marriage and pretty in love.
1: So what? Um, what drove you to take on the cosplay of Queen Hippolyta? Why? Why did you? Cho- why did you choose this character?
0: Um, Well, the character chooses you, and it chose the path of my very good friend, uh, Brianna, who had a birthday recently, and she's a cosplay friend. Her birthday was in the theme of Midsummer's Night Dream, and cosplay birthdays are serious. Like, you have to take that seriously. (laughs) And so I read the play and searched for myself within it, and the character that I liked most, actually. Well, uh, she has the least amount of lines as far as female characters go But she's the queen of Amazon <laughs> She's the daughter of Ares, god of war She's the, um, she's the, the mistress of Oberon, king of the fairies And her, her ver- even though she has very few lines What she says in the play is actually quite significant In fact, she's the only one who believes the lovers at the end and that's significant that, in the end, she's the only one who is wise enough to believe the foolishness of the lovers is real. Um, and it's because she sees a pattern between it. She tells her, her, her then-husband that their, their stories corroborate, basically. He says a very famous line that I like, that you can't believe lovers, poets, are crazy people. Poets, because they see heaven wherever they go. Um, lovers, because um, well, they're blinded by their love. And crazy people, because they'll make up insane stories. And in, in those three people are the same thing. A poet is a crazy person who is also a lover. Um, so Queen Hippolyta really spoke to me.
1: Okay, so that's some intensity around the complexity of the character development and plot of Queen Hippolyta. What about Hippolyta's relationship to Nubia and Wonder Woman and this kind of chain of uh, Afro-futurist cosplay that you've connected between these three characters?
0: Well, when I saw that Hippolyta was Queen of Amazon, I actually thought, okay, this is a Tanner person in the play. Everyone else is from Athens. I think an Amazon person would look like me. If you would ask me. Um, so um, quite out of coincidence, and this actually happens a lot in my experience of cosplay, I reached to be um, Wonder Woman actually for 4th of July. I had to wear pretty intense gear for my photophobia and so I wouldn't feel like so I wouldn't feel defeated by it. I decided to cosplay as Wonder Woman for 4th of July so I can use the gear as part of my costume and, you know, people would think, oh, she looks weird, but she looks like Wonder Woman. (laughs) Um, And so, as you may notice about me, I take character development really seriously and intensely. So as I researched Wonder Woman, and this is actually a, a really hard thing for me to reach to because I don't agree with the depiction of Wonder Woman being from the Amazon and even like, agreeing to be that person and her comic book character i actually felt myself compromising my uh i have like uh, my cosplay integrity because i like to play darker skinned characters, and I actually handled that by (laughs) channeling my inner transcendentalist and just, you know, surrender to the situation. I want to be Wonder Woman. This is how they depicted her, though I don't agree with the depiction. So all the Wonder Woman stuff I have, I don't carry her image, though I will carry her logo. And as I'm dealing with this like tough decision, I discover Wonder Woman has a black twin. And she is Wonder Woman. It's not like Wonder Woman and it's someone else's name. She, her name is also Wonder Woman, and her name is Nubia. And it just so happens that their mother is Hapalita. And I did not know this when I, when I decided to be Wonder Woman. And so I already think that Hapalita would look like me. So to have Nubia be her daughter, I just think, oh well, that would look like me as well. Which was just such a when I found it, I I started crying when I when I found out she had a darker-skinned sister. Um, I really think that her character is the embodiment of Langston Hughes' poem "I Too Sing America." You know, the darker the darker sibling is is hushed away into the kitchen, and company comes. But one day the story will be told, and they'll see how beautiful that sibling is. And I just think it's the time for Nubia, and just that. Reminder that we choosing America. We are there. We're Wonder Woman too. And we wear the costumes. I, I want to wear that costume. Which saved me a lot of money. <laughs> All my Wonder Woman stuff now applies to Nubia. Yeah, cosplay is expensive.
1: So what I understand about Nubia is that she was written up in the early 1970s appears in a couple of Wonder Woman comics, but never gets her own, own storyline, nor her own comic book line as an independent character. And then, when they rebooted the universe later, they also rebooted Nubia, so all the previous Nubia tales with Wonder Woman get rebooted, and, and then they redrew her, so there's, like, two versions of Nubia, just like I gather there's two versions of all the characters in the universe. In fact, there's multiple universes, from what I understand, in comics. Yes. So... I mean, I can see a Wonder Woman is problematic because essentially she's supposed to be an Amazonian, but she's white, right? And, and
0: pale, not just white, but like her, the depiction of her skin is a, is, a, <laughs> is a white skin that isn't getting sun, which I just don't think would be in the Amazon.
1: Yeah, so she's like a white settler of the Amazonian rainforest or something.
0: Yeah, it's, it's almost like the environment doesn't influence her
1: so do you see like a lot of potential to develop nubia though
0: well that's exactly what i'm attempting to do at cosplay In a lot of way cosplay is my um platform of storytelling and um i did the research and there's a there's a myth with hippolyta that she gets her girdle stolen by hercules and she sends her daughter out to retrieve the girdle the girdle was given to her. Um, to Hippolyta by Gaius, the significance of it represents her, the power of her queendom. Of course it's stolen by man in his foolish attempt to try to steal a woman's power, not realizing it's just a symbol of it, not the actual source. Nevertheless, I'm sending Nubia out to retrieve it for me. We're currently driving and the road is closed and it's raining and they're doing construction. We just zigzagged.
1: We did. We just zigzagged.
0: I kind of want to pull into Hippolyta's character the power of love. Because um, a huge aspect of the Wonder Woman mythology that the... Um, I can't say his name, the author. I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. But the, he, he, a huge part of Wonder Woman is actually bondage and submission. Um, And within it, there's a constant motif of bondage. The Amazon women have their power from Aphrodite. And they wear cuffs that express their bondage to her. And because of that, they have power from her. And these cuffs are renowned for protecting Wonder Woman from bullets and weapons. And just the power that comes from agreeing to submit, and I think the underlying theory is that if women agree, if women submit to goddess and men submit to women, the uh, that's that's a strong enough pull, it's a strong enough love to counterbalance the human ego. I was I read that somewhere. I don't I didn't originate that idea, but that type of submission would heal the world of its woes. Um, And so the author also is the creator of the lie detector. And one of Wonder Woman's weapons is the lasso of truth. She wraps it around you and you have to submit to the truth. In fact, she wraps it around Ares, the god of war, and show him the truth that if he chooses, tro- zigzag in the road, <laughs> zigzag in the road, it's a good sign. If he submits, uh, Ares wants to destroy all life on the world. The god of war wants to destroy all life on the world, and the last of truth shows him that if he destroys all life, he'll have no one to praise him anymore. And it's the truth that stops him. She doesn't have to whip his ass, she has to give him insight.
1: Alright, well we've arrived, we've made it at Rainbow Lake Park in Whistler. The rain has stopped. Or at least it's not raining over here on this side of the valley. Beautiful. Yeah, I think this is going to work out really well actually. There's this like, epic cloud above the mountains, <laughs> and the rain has stopped.
0: I have to take my glasses off, and I can find it. has
1: stopped here. Yeah, we're actually pretty okay. We should be okay for ambient light.
0: What are
1: these creatures? Geese? Geese. Those are Canada geese. <laughs> <laughs> I like
0: to do. you I like to.
1: So we just finished uh, the first round of the shoot, and the light is exquisite. It's like breaking through thunderclouds across Whistler Valley here at Rainbow Lake Park. Managed to get, I think, quite a few decent shots. We started out on the pier, uh, which is kind of uh, Hippolyta's beatific wedding shots, She's to be wedded. And then we also got some um, preliminary shots of her creating Nubia.
0: Yes! Oh, I was inspired! I was just frolicking in the... And the feelings of being in love and a new bride and I looked down at the dirt and I just felt myself conceiving a new idea, a child named Nubia.
1: Nubia is conceived out of dirt. Clay. Oh clay.
0: Mud and
1: some mud. <laughs> Which is I mean this is a bit of a uh christian stock creation myth. Although I believe that that humans were made out of clay appears in several cultures.
0: Actually, you, there's two different versions. Um, I accept the multiverse version of the Wonder Woman story, which says Hippolyta made, her, made the Wonder Woman, plural, by herself with clay. And then I would actually consider the universe version of Wonder Woman story, our post-crisis version, um, where Zeus impregnates Hippolyta. Which I don't agree with. I like the idea of her creating them by herself.
1: Yes, because it's—I mean—it's much more of a strong, womanist story for her to be able to self-create without the need for a male, and without that sort of patriarchal sense that the male is the one doing the creating. Mm -hmm.
0: And there's also one where, like, Theseus is her father, which I disagree with as well. Right. Um, So. Because
1: otherwise, she'd be wedding her father.
0: Yeah. There's there's so many different. There's so many different versions. No, well, Hapolyta is, Hippolyta and Acis are wedded, and then Wonder Woman will be their child.
1: Okay, so we just finished uh, the second round of the Hippolyta shoot by the stream in the red maroon dress. Tell us a little bit about that dress.
0: When I was trying to think of how best to express the character Hippolyta with the garments that I had, I thought this one in particular looked pretty Athenian. Athenian. Um, the color is quite regal, especially for those of the darker comp- complexion, I actually think we look good in the purple. I also happen to be repping Lake Colors. oh I threw that in there, you didn't know it was gonna happen, but it was there. As a photographer, how do you feel being requested to do these types of shoots?
1: Oh, I actually like shooting cosplay. Um, I mean, it is very close to a model shoot, except for I strive to use natural light, especially in outdoor settings, and even in a lot of indoor settings. And unlike model shoots, you're aiming for a more expressive and actorly pose. I mean, it is close to a model shoot, but you're not focusing upon modeling the clothing. You're focusing on modeling the character, which is a little different. So it's closer to like a conceptual model shoot, which you certainly have. Um, But the cosplay element is also just the kind of intervention that occurs in public space uh, with the shoot. I mean, it's not all the time, but... uh, People notice the shoot and depending on the, the context of it, um, it can intervene in public space to a greater degree than modeling will because the, the garment and the character and the costume are uh, radical or they're from comics or they're from fantasy or they're from science fiction. Um, so it looks much more out of place and otherworldly.
0: Yeah, I love that effect. Effect of cosplay actually. Oftentimes, I just dress in cosplay. It's my form of, to quote Hakeem Bey, uh, poetic terrorism. Kind of remind people that there's a, a fourth wall they're not breaking by being uniformed in their garments, and then just break it, and act like I'm a character. It actually happened by happenstance at first, having to wear pretty big glasses on my face. Um, I kind of reached for some that looked naturally from The Matrix, and people were literally asking me if I was dressing up from The Matrix, and my response was always, yes, I had two pills. And so uh, to actually see the effect that they had on people, to like remind them that there's something else you could be here, another way you could act, There's, a, there's there are alternatives. Um, that's a, something that I actually see the costume do almost immediately. It, Reminds a person of their imagination.
1: Okay, let's move out of this situation. what are you changing into now? What is the next character for the third round?
0: third round is Nubia.
1: Nubia. Yes.
0: She's been incarnated. But I actually find Nubia to be quite the gem of a find for a cosplayer like myself, someone who is already existing in the universe of imagination but um, needs to
1: be voiced. Here at Green Lake, which is a glacier-fed, emerald green lake <laughs> in Whistler, it's actually quite large. It's the largest lake in the valley. It's quite cold, <laughs> but it looks exquisite. The water has an incredible tint to it, and uh, it's about quarter to seven at night. But we're getting some quite bright sunlight bursting through the clouds just above the uh, mountain horizon here to the west. Hitting the lake, so it's actually going to be brighter than our previous shoot, even though it's later in the day.
0: This is the land of no nighttime. The land of no
1: nighttime. It's quite yeah.
0: hard for a photo but you know, when life gives you lemons, you turn to cosplay.
1: So you're getting on a red leotard here.
0: Yes, I am putting on a red leotard. Nubia is a Wonder Woman, and she wears similar attire to Wonder Woman, although. Um, she's not bound by Wonder Woman's duties. She, too, sings America. She, too, has come into the world of man to help the world of man of its own evils. So, my attire is similar to that of the Anglo Wonder Woman, but her twin sister's incarnation of it.
1: I got the sense, too, that from the 70s, um, Nubia Tales, that she's actually more powerful than Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. because her and Wonder Woman fight, and Nubia bests Wonder Woman.
0: Yeah, it's the one only time that happens to Wonder Woman actually.
1: I think it's quite significant. I think the timing of the character in the 70s and the narrative that was written speaks directly to black power. Black female power.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of controversy in making her, and I'm sure there's a lot of obstacles in, you know, perpetuating her. That's why she's not really popular. Um... But there's—I've seen some images that I kind of shook my head at. Is like, it's like a cat fight between Wonder Woman and Nubia. And Nubia is dressed in this kind of African tube top dress, while Wonder Woman is in her typical American uh, costumes. Like girl versus girl, and Nubia is like supposed to represent the, of course, the savage. I didn't really agree with that image, but I wasn't shocked when I saw it. Wonder Woman is one of the um, one of the reasons why I reached to her is because she's actually as far as comic book heroines go, she's actually one of the more respected feminist heroine. Her storyline but she represents the power of the female and it's not an it's a it's a feminine power they gave her. They didn't give her the power of strength. That's not like they give the male, you know the male characters, which is a male trait. They gave her the lasso of truth which is representative of feminine charm and um, they gave her the bracelets of submission as opposed to super, you know, as as opposed to like telepathy, like they gave her actually feminine powers amplified, which is cool.
1: So we done the third mission? We're done with the third mission the third
0: and final Nubia has been featured
1: So how cold was Green Lake?
0: It was pretty darn cold, but you know, I felt the power of Nubia coming in and I just I Could handle it. She powered through me There was a any injustice in the lake I would have jumped in there and gone after it
1: This episode of Other Planes. Thanks for drifting with us through a number of scenarios as we discussed all manner of cosplay. Since these interviews took place in 2016, Zigzaggers has gone on to cosplay at international Comic-Cons and Festivals as Jet Seer, Yuhura, Queen Hippolyta, Wonder Woman, Kali, Kiku, Lilu, and Mad Catwoman. And Zig Zagers is also the star and lead cosplayer in a short documentary, Futurist Film, I should say After Futurist Film, directed by myself, uh, entitled Lost Alien. And that will be distributed by Cinema Politica and released in fall 2018. Uh, Ziggy has also gone on to perform as a keynote speaker at a number of conferences at Quest University of Canada, at the Specative Futures of Race Symposium at University of California Riverside, and at the Science Fiction Research Association. So for more on Ziggy and her artistic and interventionist work, and to pick up copies of The Bastards Manifesto, visit zigzaggers.com or planetnoir.net. Her poetry is up on her own website there at zigzaggers.com. And that is Z-I-G-G-Z-A-G-G-E-R-Z.com. And you'll notice as a Canadian, I say both Z and Z. All right, tune in for our next episode. Thanks very much to CreativeDisturbance.org and Leonardo for their continued support and archiving of this podcast. We are back after a long hiatus. I have a whole bunch of material recorded from Comic-Cons and conferences and festivals over the past two years, including the Black Speculative Arts Movement in Toronto, the very first edition, as well as other Afrofuturist gatherings and speculative culture events. So there you have it. Peace, y'all.